What fuels our next step when the journey is daunting, facing seemingly insurmountable odds? When failure has been our companion, why do some choose grit when others quit? The capacity for grit is what the writers of Scripture called endurance or perseverance. Perseverance is the shape of a heart that's increasingly able to honour its commitments, live out its calling, and rise above the hard to reach the hope. Some call it grit, some resilience. Whatever you call it, it's simply the shape of a heart that refuses to quit hoping that God's best is yet to come. It's the grit in your soul that finds traction for blessing in the most difficult circumstances. And there is a pathway to these gritty blessings that will lead to a resilient life. Jesus once shared them in a mountaintop moment. Eight steps to building a resilient life. Hey, welcome to Calvary. Can I tell you something right now before we dive in to our next gritty blessing? I've been a pastor for 35 plus years, here for 29 and a half I've seen Calvary go from about 300 people meeting in one place for one service to a a multi-site church that before COVID had thousands of people coming Christmas and Easter. We've built stuff and done stuff, served the community, made a huge difference in the lives of hundreds and hundreds of kids in Myanmar. We've loved and served students, prayer walked neighborhoods, packed meals, provided a place to stay for people without a home. We've served refugees, baptized young and old. We've influenced pastors and churches to worship and and be on mission together. Even more importantly, I love my family. Lynn is an amazing woman of God, and after a combined 120 years of being pastor's kids, our kids still love Jesus and don't hate the church. And what a joy it's been to watch them go on their own adventures, following Christ and living out their callings. I'm so blessed. And at the same time, I just got to tell you, I am so in need of mercy, so in need of mercy. Too often I still fill the gut of my soul with stuff other than God. In my best moments, I'm, I'm intimately familiar with my brokenness, my desperate dependency on God, but too often with kind of an unmeek pride, I want people to know how much I can do by myself. And oh my, so often, please hear me, I find myself in need of mercy. Sometimes I talk more about prayer than I pray. In a few cases coming out of COVID, I've held a grudge against someone who ghosted me and left Calvary. And and more than I care to admit it, I'm reminded that God, my Father, is a God of mercy, and I so need the mercy of my Father. And and I think that's why, actually, I know that's why I love this next gritty blessing. It's the mercy blessing. Blessed are those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. In some ways, I I think this is, is the first blessed are that really reveals the heart of God. The mercy blessing describes the heart of Father God. Christ is what mercy does. (laughs) I mean, God's not really poor in spirit. He's not broken or desperate. God doesn't mourn, or if he does, it's a, a temporary response to the brokenness of the world. It's not who he is. The meek are meek because they have no strength, but God's omnipotent. God does not hunger for righteousness. He is righteousness. He's the source of all righteousness. In the last message, I said that the first four gritty blessings are all about kind of emptying ourselves out. And and yeah, I know, Paul said that Jesus emptied himself of his pri- privilege, but, but God is not empty. God can't be empty. He's the source of all fullness. But mercy? Oh my goodness, mercy? That's who God is. Craig Blomberg, a theologian, author, he, he writes these words. He says, merciful embraces the characteristics of being generous 
forgiving others, having compassion for the suffering, and providing healing of every kind. And then he says this, he says, in light of Exodus 34, 6, mercy may be God's most fundamental attribute. Now, what's going on in Exodus 34? Well, Exodus 34 is where Moses gets the Ten Commandments from God on Mount Sinai. God descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. God proclaimed the name of the Lord. In Exodus 34, 6, it says, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, I am the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in unfailing love and faithfulness, keeping mercy to thousands. Now, this is the very first time God himself describes God himself. He uses the Hebrew word kesed. It's a covenant word. Sometimes translated as loving kindness or unfailing love or steadfast love, sometimes just mercy. And and this description of God is used multiple times throughout Scripture, almost like a title. It, It forms, if you remember from our study on Jonah, it forms Jonah's complaint when God would not destroy the horrific, barbaric, violent Ninevites. In Jonah 4.2, says, didn't I say, Jonah's saying this to God, didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That, that's why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love, and eager to turn back from destroying people. Nehemiah uses the same words to describe God in Nehemiah chapter 9. The psalmist in Psalm 103, merciful, compassionate, slow to anger, unfailing love. This is our merciful God, full of unfailing love, full of mercy. A gritty, unfailing love that will absolutely not ever, ever quit. And as a result, he's slow to get angry. He's quick to show mercy. I've shared this mercy story with you before, but I couldn't get it out of my head this week. Ernie Johnson Jr. is a three-time Sports Emmy Award winner, host of TNT's Inside the NBA. And in his autobiography, Unscripted, Johnson describes a moment that changed his life. It was a moment of mercy. They'd been in the process of adoption, and Cheryl, his wife, was in Romania. It was May 16, 1991, and she was on her first visit to an orphanage outside of Bucharest. She'd found a phone and was describing her visit to Ernie. She'd been waiting in the lobby of the orphanage when a nurse walked by with a boy. He wasn't quite three years old. He'd been abandoned in a park at birth. He couldn't walk, couldn't speak. And as she was describing this to Ernie, she could barely talk. Tears were just running down her face. Hun, she said, the, the nurse told me, don't, don't take. Boy is no good. Ern, she said after describing the boy, he has so many issues, so much more than we said we could handle, but I don't know if I can go the rest of my life wondering what happened to him. And and her words just kind of hung there, demanding a response or a silence for 10, 15 seconds with neither, neither of them speaking. Ernie writes in his book, sometimes you're captured even on a scratchy telephone line half around, halfway around the world, not by the words you're hearing, but by how they're spoken. Those words were coming from some inner recess of Cheryl's heart, a place for which an abandoned orphan apparently had the key. And suddenly everything, he says, everything we talked about and written in the adoption paperwork about how much we were willing to take on, it all became secondary. As he spoke into the phone, these four words, then bring him home. 
much of their son's first years in America were spent in hospitals and, and doctor's offices. It, it was difficult. They, they discovered he had muscular dystrophy. It was so hard, but they were determined to do what they set out to do in the first place, which was simply to make his life better than what he had before. Way too often, they heard from friends and strangers alike, I guess if you'd known he'd had muscular dystrophy, you, you wouldn't have adopted him. Ernie says nothing could have been further from the truth. We, we adopted Michael not for who he would become, but for who he was, a forgotten child who deserved another chance. See, that's mercy. I, I love that story, but can I, can I be honest? Sometimes mercy goes even deeper than what Ernie and Cheryl displayed. In, in part, mercy is this compassion, this, this gut heart feeling towards an unmet need. But imagine, it's not true in the story, but imagine what if that Romanian orphan was the child of parents who had nailed Ernie and Cheryl's own child to a cross. See, mirth, mercy is, is both compassion towards a need, but it's also the withholding of judgment. It, it's forgiveness. If grace is getting more good than I could ever deserve, mercy is withholding the bad that I do deserve. See, mercy is unexpected and undeserved compassion. God withholds what I deserve to grace me with more than I can imagine. Mercy is what God gave us when he sent Jesus on a rescue mission for us with a charged son. Bring them home. (laughs) Do whatever it takes to bring them home. So with that in mind, would you listen again to the gritty blessings found in Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 7? Now when Jesus saw the crowds, you remember the context, you've been with us through this time, he sees the crowds, he goes up on the mountainside, he sits down, his disciples come to him, he's talking to his disciples, but everybody's listening in, and he said to them, Blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled, and blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. So for the first four gritty blessings, they we said were, were they're, they're about getting the junk out of our hearts. It's about emptying the stuff out so that we can start getting filled with Christ. We, we start getting filled with righteousness. And, and like my friend Terry Walling suggested to me last week, the first four are focused on our being, on our hearts, who God is forming us to become, to be. And then the next four are about doing. And isn't it interesting? Just just pause here a moment and think about this. Isn't it interesting? When we get filled with God's righteousness, we become merciful. See, the world expects expects the opposite because that's what we, we, we keep showing them. Get filled up with righteousness and they become judgmental. <laughs> get, get focused on righteousness and Christians become judgmental, exclusive. But in reality, when our hearts are being formed by God's righteousness, we, we start doing mercy. So as we go from emptying to filling and from being to doing, we need to let our mercy show. Let your mercy show. Take a moment and listen to Aaron's gritty blessing story of letting our mercy show. Hi, I'm Aaron, and this is my gritty blessing story. I'm the mom to four fun, crazy, lovable kiddos, and I became their mom through adoption. Each one of my kids came to me with a different story. Each of them have unique um, backgrounds and stories, and I'm thankful for each of them and how they came to be a part of my family. 
My two sons I adopted from Ethiopia 10 years ago, and my two daughters I adopted um, through the foster care system. I started fostering them a couple years after adopting the boys, and in the midst of fostering them, whenever it was transitioning from a foster situation to an adoptive uh, situation, um, our family life changed in what felt like overnight. I found myself in a place that was completely unexpected um, in an unwanted and painful divorce. It was something that I never um, saw myself. It was a place that I didn't picture my family to be. Um, prior to that, I saw the adoption of the girls as completing my family, and I was very excited um, about the, the idea of um, their adoption, but when the divorce um, came to play, it filled my mind with a lot of questions. During that time, God, He opened my eyes to how, how much He loves us. So many things were so uncertain and so hard, and it was such a struggle. But God showed me through that time um, about His forgiveness and the ways that we can forgive those um, who have hurt us in, in really big and hard ways. Um, that was a lot of work. That was a hard process and one that needs to be um, chosen. Uh, and choosing to forgive is not always easy whenever our heart doesn't necessarily want to. Um, but I found that, that was really important for me to walk through and to do because I didn't want to um, be a mom with a bitter heart. I wanted to be a mom that was full of um, God's grace and His his forgiveness, um, his compassion, and his mercy. That's the, those are the things I wanted my kids to see. During the really tough, uh, really hard seasons of life, um, God has continually put people into our lives who have stepped in to help uh, shoulder the weight um, of decisions that need to be made or just physical, tangible needs that we have needed um, or had. Um, I think he's so, so gracious and compassionate in that way. Um, in the times where you feel like giving up and you feel like you can't do this, he's there and he sends people to come alongside you. And he shows me that each new day is a, a new day. And I think that's where um, I'm so thankful for his compassion and his mercy. I, I think about the verse where it says his compassions fail not. They're never failing. He wants to be compassionate to us always. And not only is he compassionate to us, but it, the verse goes on to say that his mercies are new every morning. And that's something that I've had to remind myself of on days that I feel like I've not um, parented well or I've, or I've um, messed up in a certain area. Aaron, God's mercies are new each morning. They're new for you. They're new for your kids. Um, and I'm so, so thankful that, for that truth and for that knowledge. And um, looking back over the past several years, the reason that I haven't given up um, is because he's shown me to be faithful. He's been there um, for myself and my kids and my family. And I want them to be able to know that God doesn't give up on us. And because of that, um, we can keep pushing on and showing his love um, 
and his compassion to, to those around us. And I think that's been an important lesson for me um, as, I'm, as I'm doing it to my kids and trying to model it for them. Those are things that I want them to know that we can do for the world because that's what God calls us to do. Does our mercy show? Let me challenge you to take a survey the next few weeks at work with strangers or, or might be friends who aren't in the church loop and, and just ask them, what's your perception of Christians? Or if you really want to be brave, what's your perception of evangelical Christians? Some labels that you hear will be unfair. But listen carefully to how rarely our pictures are painted with grace and mercy dripping from the brush. And I just wonder if the Spirit might be saying in this moment, let your mercy show, and you'll be shown mercy. So in these last few moments, I just want to remind us of another story, like like Aaron's story that Jesus told that, that ends with a challenge to let our mercy show. It's a mercy story. It starts in Luke chapter 10, not long after Jesus gave his Sermon on the Mount. The the story starts with Luke's words in Luke 10, verses 25 through 28, and, and here's what it says. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question, teacher, he said, what should I do to receive eternal life? And, and he's not just talking about long life. He's talking about the good life that, that everybody is looking for. And so Jesus replied to him, what does the law of Moses say? You're a religious lawyer. What does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? And the man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor like you love yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and and you will live. You'll find the life you're looking for. Now, let me just connect some dots. Do you suppose that if loving God and loving our neighbor leads to the best kind of life, this quantity and quality of life that Jesus is offering, do this and you will live, Jesus said. Do Do you suppose that what Jesus says here connects it all with what Jesus said about the gritty blessings? I mean, if the blessings are a path to a life that thrives and loving our neighbor leads to a great life, will the path of gritty blessings help us love God with all our hearts and love our neighbors like we love ourselves? See, I think this pathway, I think the gritty blessings lead to life because they are shaping our hearts to be more like Jesus, shaping our hearts like Jesus. I mean, think about it. Jesus' whole life was a portrait of the mercy of God. Everywhere he went, he's a living display of the mercy of God, forgiving, compassionate kindness, healing, servant-hearted help, reaching out to those in the margins. A woman at a well who was a five-time loser at love. Zacchaeus, a man who had become rich at the expense of others, a traitor to his country. A woman caught in adultery. Ten Ten men with leprosy, the most homeless, hopeless, and helpless of Jesus' day. A criminal about to be executed with a last-minute change of heart. Philip Yancey says, in short, Jesus restored the emphasis from God's exclusive holiness to God's inclusive mercy. Instead of the message, no one desirables allowed in the kingdom, he proclaimed in God's kingdom, no one is any longer an undesirable. But the religious lawyer is less interested in being like Jesus, being like God, and, and more interested in just the bare minimum for life. What's the least I can do? So, so it says in Luke 10, 29, but he wanted, the religious lawyer wanted to justify himself, wanted to justify his actions. And so he asked Jesus, well, come on, who's my neighbor? See, he, he wanted to know the limits of mercy. 
Who do I got to love? How big is my neighborhood? How many people do I have to put on my hashtag? Can it be can it just be people I like or, or at least people like me? Come on, tell me that it doesn't have to be people who voted for or people who think or people who leave a mess in my life. No needy, seedy, leery people who don't think like me, right? Who, who's my neighbor? Then at the end of the story, we'll see that, and that's the wrong question. The wrong question is, who is my neighbor? The mercy question is, am I a neighbor? Am I a good neighbor? And so Jesus told this story. Most of you know it. It's in Luke chapter 10, verses 30 to 37. It says, Jesus said a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho where he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. And so too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side, wouldn't even come close. But a Samaritan, a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity, or some of your translations say compassion. He had compassion on him. And he went to him and bandaged him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And the next day, spent the night, the next day he took out two denarii, that's two days' wages, basically, and gave them to the innkeeper and said, look, look after him. So Jesus tells this short story that has such deep impact. In fact, for thousands and thousands of years, people who don't even know the story have used the title Good Samaritan. Jesus told a story about a Jewish man on his way from Jerusalem to Jericho, rough road, rough, rough neighborhood. In fact, the road from Jerusalem to Jericho slopes steadily downward through a wilderness of rocks and ravines. I've driven on it. For 17 miles, the road snakes through this barren wilderness, and in the twists and turns of the road in those days, hardened criminals would lie in wait. So notorious was this stretch of road, its nickname was the Way of Blood. Two people came by, a priest and a Levite. Think pastor and seminary professor. They came by, went to the other side of the street, and walked by. Didn't stop, didn't help, did not let their mercy show. I mean, who knows what might happen if we stop, and do we really have time? In fact, in those days, they they would probably become religiously unclean. They, They wouldn't be able to go do their work for a while because of their interaction with this guy. That's why they go to the other side of the road. I've got some stuff going on. And so they opened up their garage door with the remote control and entered their house by the kitchen door so that they would be safe, comfortable, and uninterrupted. And so that's the way, as Jesus is telling the religious lawyer, how to find a life that thrives, that's, that's the way to do it. But this leader's religion, this religious lawyer, keeps looking for the bare minimums. And that's why in Jesus' story, it was the Samaritan who stopped. Out of the ordinary, unexpected, undeserved. He went beyond the minimum. He had pity. Some of your translations say compassion. He was responding from the heart, this, this gut instinct that I have to do something. And so he stopped and bandaged the man's wounds and placed him on his own animal and walked to the next stop. He, he took care of him. And the next day when he had to leave, he, he left what he had, two days' wages to cover the costs of further care said, I'll come back and take care of it if there's more. See, mercy gives as it can for the need. 
You see that picture of mercy? He did what he could with what he had in the moment when he found the need. I think sometimes we're hesitant to show mercy because we don't think we have enough to meet all the needs, but God simply calls us to do what we can with what he's given us. I mean, you think about all the needs around the world globally right now. It's overwhelming. What in the world could I do? What I can do is do what I can with what I have in the moment where I find the need. And sometimes the call to mercy seems like such a small thing, nothing earth-shattering. Not the exciting stuff like healing people, going on a mission, casting out demons, prophesying, preaching. Nope, just a, just a little interruption here, a touch of kindness there, a moment of compassion in the midst of life. But can mercy ever be a small thing if it's one of God's most fundamental attributes? But, but that's only part of the story, right? Not, not even the part that would annoy the one who was asking the question. Because you see, mercy dives deeper than compassion. Mercy forgives. It, it, it withholds what is the bad that is deserved. It, it forgives. The, the Samaritans showed Mercy. You know, in Jesus' day, Samaritans were, were despised. They were culturally, racially, spiritually rejected. Jews would not invite them into their houses for fear that they were storing up curses on their children. Samaritans were publicly cursed in the Jewish synagogue. Jews felt regularly, they, they, they felt fine just asking God to damn them, to exclude them from heaven. But in Jesus' story, the Samaritan's the hero. If you're a racist, think African-American man. If you've a hard heart towards the LGBTQ community, think gay, trans, woman, athlete. If you're a, a woman, think John MacArthur. If you're a Democrat, think former President Trump. And the Samaritan man stops to help a Jewish man. And even if he didn't know him, he knows him. He's he is of the ones who hate and despise and reject him. He's, he's of the ones who have no time for him and wish he would stay invisible. But, but he stopped. This is mercy. It's more than mere compassion. It, it's compassion for those who don't even deserve it. It's directed to those who hurt us, demean us, disagree with us, and deserve less than nothing. And, and Jesus looked at the religious guy trying to narrow the scope of his neighboring by saying, after all, who's my neighbor? And Jesus asked him the question, now you tell me, who is the neighbor? Well, I guess the one who showed mercy, the one who forgave, the one who helped the one who was on the other team, the one who stopped with compassion for the one who never would have stopped for him, the one who showed mercy. And, and what did Jesus say? He said, yes, now go and do that. Go do that. Go and do. Put, put your mercy on display Church, it's, it's too infrequent, it's all too rare that we put mercy on display. Let it show, Jesus saying. Jesus asks this man, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the one, to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise, and you will be shown mercy. Go and love your neighbor. And by the way, anyone in need might be your neighbor. In fact, by the way, somebody who hates you might be your neighbor. Be a mercy giver, a neighbor lover. And you understand, Jesus didn't just tell stories about loving neighbors. This is how he lived. He was the world's greatest neighbor. He has the world's greatest heart. If we want to be a Jesus apprentice, it's not enough to do like he did. We need to be like he was, be like he is. I want to be like he is. 
I want to love like Jesus. I want us to be mercy givers. I want us to be known as a church of mercy. I mean, can you imagine for just a, a moment how life would change in your neighborhood if, if Jesus moved in next door? I mean, just take a moment, imagine there's a house for sale in your neighborhood, an apartment for rent in your building, or an empty room on your hall. Some of you don't have to imagine it, you're living it. Maybe the people who left were your best friends, maybe your most annoying neighbors, maybe they were prodigal part partiers. And in any case, you're wondering who's next. Every time you walk past the empty place, you wonder who. Hope they'll be better, just as good as the last folks. Maybe occasionally you even pray, God, choose the right person for my new neighbor. And and then he moves in. You see this small truck pull up with his stuff, not much stuff. Single guy, late 20s, early 30s. Seems like he always got a smile. And so one day you walk over to meet him. After all, your pastor won't stop talking about being a good neighbor. You knock on the door. The door opens. He introduces himself and tells you that his name is Jesus. <laughs> Jesus from Nazareth formerly of the cross, king of the kingdom, creator of the world, savior of your soul, leader of the church. How would it change your neighborhood if Jesus lived next door? I'm not talking about some crazy guy who thinks he's Jesus. What if, what if Jesus really lived next door? Well, of course, it'd be a little bit uncomfortable the first time you say, oh my God, and, and he gives you that look. Maybe you'd start thinking a little bit about what you're putting in your trash. Can you imagine what he would say the first time you tried to pull him aside and tell him what neighbors to avoid? That would be an awkward conversation. See, I think if Jesus lived next door, it probably wouldn't take more than a day or two for you to get past the what does he think of me phase. Less than a week to get into that, man, I just love being with him phase. And, and after that, if, if Jesus lived next door, I think you would be doing absolutely everything you could to introduce him to everyone on your street or in your building or down your hall because there's just no one quite like Jesus. And if, if Jesus were living next door, you'd remember that. You, you'd remember that Jesus is what it's all about and nothing has the potential to change someone's life more than an encounter with Jesus. And then maybe you would remember that he's not only with you, you're actually in him and and you've been emptied out so that he can fill you up. And you realize that actually Jesus does kind of live next door to your neighbors. So go love your neighbors like you love Jesus. Go love your neighbors like Jesus loves you. <laughs> go love your neighbors like you love yourself. Go and do likewise. Be merciful and you will be shown mercy. And, and you know what I think? I, I know that being shown mercy means that I'll be given mercy from God. And, and I start by saying, man, I know how much I need that. But I also wonder if it doesn't mean that everywhere you go, <laughs> the mercy of God is going to be center stage. More and more people will see it and be drawn to it. And sooner or later, it's going to seem like you just can't get away from it. You'll begin to think that you live in a world that's been saturated through and through with the mercy and the unfailing, loving kindness of Jesus. Isn't that what we want? Right, let me pray for you. Father, let your mercy flow in us and through us. Let your mercy show, God. As we become more merciful, God, we pray that you would put your mercy on display. 
to, to a world that, that, that so desperately realizes, even if they won't talk about it, they realize how much they need mercy. God, may we be a place where forgiveness runs wild. May we be a, a people who show compassion to those who are in need, re- regardless of whether they're on our team or not, regardless of whether they're living like we think they should or not, regardless of, of whether they're the same in areas that matter to us or not. God, would you, would you let mercy flow? And as we're merciful, God, I pray that you would open up our eyes to your mercy all around, that you would open up the eyes of our neighbors and our, our neighborhoods and our community, our, our schools, our our, our geographic location, central PA, God, would you, would you put your mercy on display, center stage, and draw people to yourself? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.